Romans 12, verse 16. So many good things in this whole section. And uh, the, the, uh, the way we need to think about these books is they were real, real moments that they were read. You know, we're so used to the Bible as being a book that we read. But, of course, it wasn't that in the first place. It was individual parchments. A parchment is a, um, uh, a piece of leather, really finely uh, cared for, curated kind of leather, that would be stretched out like a, a sheepskin or a goatskin or something like that, or, or later a, a cowskin. And uh, the, you would write on it, the scroll. And I, I was just reflecting as I was preparing this, you know, maybe Paul, Paul was known to be a tent maker, and of course tent makers work with skins. I wonder whether he actually made the parchments that were then used, that, that were written on. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it was quite an art. And the word parchment, I just learnt the other day, comes from the, the city Pergamon. See, parchment, Pergamon, you can get there eventually. And uh, that was a, the famous place in the ancient world where they used to make parchments, and then they would be sent all over the place. And they're not quite as thin as paper, but they're kind of like a few pieces of cardboard thick. So finely done were they. And so then they'd be rolled up, you'd have this scroll, it might be kind of this big, usually cut to a kind of nice shape, or if you weren't that fancy, it would just be looking like a you know, great big sheepskin kind of thing. But you'd, you'd write it all out, you'd fold it all up, and you'd be carrying it around, maybe tie it off with something so it's, it's together. So Phoebe brought this parchment. Phoebe's a wealthy businesswoman, lived in the area near Corinth, Senecrae. She was an elder of the church there, good friend of Paul's. Paul has dictated this letter, Tertius, we realise, is the guy who wrote it right at the end, he says, I, Tertius, who wrote this thing? It actually wrote it down. She's carrying this scroll with all these words, 16 chapters of what we call the Book of Romans. Back then it would have been known as the Scroll of Romans or the Parchment of Romans. And, and she's carried it all the way from Corinth, sailed across presumably to Rome, the capital of the empire, and midweek probably met up with the leaders of the church and said, I got this letter from Paul, whoa, so cool. We're so keen to hear it. And then, and then she said, how about I read it on Sunday when everyone gets together? That was the normal thing Christians would do then. They'd meet Sunday morning early and they would get together. And she said, what if I read this? And she said, of course, fantastic, brilliant. And so it would take you know, a couple of hours probably to read. And everyone would be just really interested to see, really interested to listen. So here's Phoebe. We've got to imagine her reading this out. And, uh, and then people kind of asking questions, discussing stuff, and she might answer, or others might chip in. And that's the kind of setting for this. What I wonder is, when, when Phoebe went into church that day, don't think church building or church school hall, think, um, you know, like some wealthy person's big house, the kind of central courtyard area, maybe a covered courtyard area. You could fit 100, maybe 200 people into those sorts of spaces. We know from the... Uh, from the maps of, uh, of the city. And so there is, there is uh, there's people gathered. We, we guess in Romans, uh, in the Church of Rome, at least 100, maybe 200 people, something like that. And there they are gathered. And when she looks in, first of all, what does she see? What is she expecting to see in terms of the people who are there and how they relate? Because Paul, in this letter that she's reading out, has a lot of expectation as to what might be there and how they ought to be in terms of the spirit at work in their life. I wonder if when she went in, she would have seen the same social patterns playing out as she saw in the streets of Rome for the, the, the few days she's been there already. Because there, everything was very crisply stratified. 
you knew exactly where you fitted in the society. Much more than you do in our society in Australia uh, these days. Very crisp. You know, uh, the houses that you're in, uh, the, the poor people were in crowded, cluttered, tiny, bad houses. The rich were in nice, big, lovely houses. The really rich were in palaces or big, big mansions. The very, very poor were on the street. They lived and slept on the street. And so you have houses determine where you fit, clothes determine where you fit. I remember being struck, one of the things I, I love is the sari, the Indian sari, when you go to India, and uh, women, lots of women just wear saris all the time. But you notice the difference between the daily, you know, normal day sari, and the wealthy sari you wear when it's a wedding, or it's a, you know, go to church on Sunday or something. Absolutely beautiful. And so you can tell the difference in clothes in a place like that as to who's rich and who's poor. The wealthy people wear the wealthy clothes every day. And the, and the beautiful uh, braiding and, uh, and, and uh, insert of gold even in some saris that you see. It really strikes me when, I, when I'm in India. Ha, India, travel, ha, another thing. But what, what you would see that is just so clear in the streets of Rome. Who, who's a slave? Who's poor? Who's a worker? Who's a wealthy person? You'd see it in the posture, the way people walk. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this about some people, but, but they can enter a room and you go, that person dominates the room. That person is in charge of this place. You see it in the military, very obviously. Uh, my father-in-law uh, died several years ago, but he, he, it's a very strange role he had. He used to be a, um, uh, he was a bishop, and then he was made the, the senior bishop in the military, and so it was a separate kind of role, an extra role. And then he had all this military garb that he used to wear. Like He was a general, actually. He was made an actual army general, one-star general. And so he would go from his ecclesiastical posture and clothes. And the hardest thing, he said, was to become a general. Because the bishops always walk at the back, and the generals always walk at the front. The bishops are always deferring to others, as, as is a Christian posture, life and way of being. But generals, everyone salutes. Everyone, I mean, he walked in, he said it was bizarre. He used to be in the military back just after the Second World War. He was a lieutenant. So he goes from lieutenant was the last time he was in the military, and then he's a general, you know, like five days a month or something. And he'd see, he'd see just the, the, the look, not many people see generals, you know, walking into church on a Sunday or something. There he was as a general. See, posture makes a huge difference to how we, how we project ourselves and how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others. You don't see many slaves standing with shoulders back in the presence of their owner. The position that you stood in a room, if you were even allowed in the room, would tell you a lot about who you were and where you fitted. The very sense of freedom to come and go as you choose varies across people. And in the streets of Rome, Phoebe would have seen all of this, just at a glimpse, glance, and it would have been just obvious. Of course, that's how our society is. And the way you value yourself and the way you value others depends on where you fit and they fit. It comes in all sorts of ways. My son lived five years in Austria, and in the late German language, which he's fluent in now, uh, in the German language, you have multiple ways of speaking, addressing someone who's more senior to you or someone who's more junior, junior, either in age or in status. And he said the strangest thing for him in his late 20s was when a, a work colleague came in who was in their early 20s and addressed him in the older person's language. Oh, oh, he was shocked because all of a sudden he was being afforded 
a way of speech that he was not used to being that person. He was always the younger, the more junior, and all of a sudden he was being treated quite differently. There's all these markers that happen, even in our societies today. And what would Phoebe have done as she went from there? What would have been her expectation of coming to church that day in that house? Would she see the same thing? Or how would the people there be negotiating those variations? Now there are Christian people gathering. Because, you see, we know from the very last chapter of the book that there are people who are incredibly wealthy and influential, people out of Caesar's own household, and we know there were slaves, and we know there's everything in between. There appears to be wealthy business people, there appears to be mere workers and slaves. Um, I don't know if it's just a capital city thing, I'm sure it's not, it's all over the place, but the, I don't know if you've been to Canberra, anybody ever lived in Canberra? Okay, I'm the expert on Canberra, that's good. My brother lives in Canberra, or used to, and lives nearby there now, and um, I, there's lots of things I love about Canberra. I really like visiting, I love Parliament, I love politics, I love all those sorts of things. I love lots of things about the architecture. There's a few buildings I absolutely hate, which if you ask me, I'll tell you very clearly which ones I hate in Canberra and which ones I love. Um, one of the things I find bizarre about Canberra is how many people there are employed by the public service. And anyone here work in the public service? Yep, 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 okay. You've got a number attached to you, haven't you? Your pay grade. Yeah. Now, we don't even think about that much, but in Canberra, the second question after, hey, how's it going and what you up to and what do you do, is, um, yeah, and what work is it you do? And then there's usually this little guess goes on as to, oh, so you'd be a um, APS4 then, would you? Australian Public Service Level 4. You start at level one, you work your way up to level six. Level six is pretty fancy. By then, you're up to about 100,000 a year. See, I can even tell you how much money it is because I looked up the grades. And every pay grade has exactly a range, about five or 10 grand between it. That's pretty good to be at level six, but you know, of course, above that is the uh, executive service. So there's uh, grades one and two of those, so you can climb up there. But then there is the senior executive service, and there's one, two, and three of those. And by the time you get to the very top one, SES3, you're in the quarter of a million to half a million. It gets a very big band at that point. And in Canberra, everybody knows where everybody fits. I find that bizarre and disturbing. It's just like school all over again, but worse, because they're grown-up people. My brother loves not being in the public service and people are completely confused when he's met at a party. You know, I, I see where your wife is. She works for one of the departments. But, but I can't comprehend who you are in Canberra. I exaggerate just a little as to what it's like there. When you walk into a room, when you walk into a room, when you meet people for the first time, what's going through your head? Some of us really struggle with this stuff. Some of us, we're quite relaxed. It's a personality thing. It's also a Christian grace thing within us. Are you wondering, well, what work does that person do? What degrees do they have? What higher degrees do they have? What pay do they have? What spouse have they got? No, oh, that spouse. What do their children do? What achievements do they have compared to my kids? I remember being so disappointed when our firstborn daughter only got nine and a half on her whatever score it was. Or was that five and a half or four and a half? I forgot what the number was now. Because I knew that the other people got full marks. And it just went on from there. 
What house do you have? What investments do you have? What holidays do you take? Or whole other schema, how creative are you really? Do you know about art? Because I do. Or Dan, I don't know as much as you. What's your climbing rate? There we go. Climbing GC, I've got climbing rates. I didn't even know such thing exists, but of course they do. When you encounter others, what plays inside your mind? You see, this year we're looking at the year of authentic community, and unless we get some of the stuff worked out inside of each of our own heads, and unless we're encouraging each other to kind of think through this stuff, we're going to struggle to be authentic in community. Because we won't relate to people by God's values. We'll relate to people by society's values. And we've got to undo so much to get our Christian mentality happening. If you are particularly finding yourself in this passage, me too, this concept, me too, let's look at what Paul said to the Christians in Rome and what Phoebe read to them and uh, caused them to think about. Romans chapter 12, let me just read uh, verse 16. I'll just get out of 1 Corinthians where I was last. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Um, live in harmony is kind of the title, but it's, it's a bit too poetic, actually. Um, I'm going to read you another version. It's a much older version. Uh, those of you who uh, are bilingual, anyone bilingual? Um, you're bilingual, aren't you? Just speak some Greek. Yeah, Greek. And a little bit of Greek and English. Anyone actually bilingual speak? Two languages? Okay, good. I'm an expert here too. Because uh, I've learned a couple of languages, Greek and some Hebrew. Don't ask me to say much about it, but I have learned. And one of the things you're always struggling with when you're going from one language to another is do you do a wooden translation? You know, do you go in a really wooden word-for-word -word kind of thing? Or do you kind of let the spirit of it, the, the kind of the vibe of it come across more? This live in harmony is a vibe type phrase. I want to read you one which is a much older version, sort of 100 and 200 years old, which is, um, is just a bit more wooden, but I think actually captures a bit more of the sense of how we will go personally. So the idea of harmony, it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very beautiful, poetic kind of idea, harmony. You know, it's all these different voices, and they'll meld together, and you've got your voice, I've got my voice. And, but my danger, my, I think the danger of that is it could just be oh, I'm just going to float through harmoniously with this thing. I'm not actually ready for work. I'm just going to be kind of passively pleasant in this situation. But I think the real meaning is, is something that just a whole lot more... It, it gets to be gritty. That's where it ends up. So let me uh, see if I can find this, um, this passage here. It's from the revised version, which is a, a, quite an old one, as I said. And um, I want to read a couple of verses before. He says, uh, verse 15, so Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. And this is our be harmonious thing. It says, be of the same mind one toward another. 
Set not your mind on high things, but condescend to things that are lowly. Be not wise in your own conceits. Render no man evil for evil. Take thought for the things honourable in the sight of all men. You can tell it's an old version, can't you? The old men, all men thing. So, be of the same mind as one another. Now, this doesn't mean, um, I, I think when you first hear it, you go, oh, kind of like groupthink. You know, everybody has to think exactly the same thing. That's kind of a recipe for a cult, isn't it? You know, everybody's like, all right, there's the line from the top. Um, it's interesting, one of the values we have in our SOMA committee, SOMITI as we call it, uh, on SOMITI is that we don't want groupthink. We actually want to hear the minority voice. Because we know if one person goes, hey, I've got a bit of an issue, there's probably ten other people in the church that feel exactly the same. So we actually have as a discipline in our group to say, if you've got a different opinion, put it in. Because we don't want groupthink. So, but it's not that. That's, that's quite a different idea. What it really is about is understanding the mind of God and thinking like that about ourselves. And so the sorts of things that um, we're to be thinking, first of all, is we're all children of the same father. We're all brothers and sisters of the same big brother, Jesus. We're in the body. And we're all motivated by the same spirit. It's a very Trinitarian kind of thing I'm suggesting to you here. It's Father, Son, and Spirit. And those things will fill our mind and our view of each other. That we're children of the same Father, we're brothers and sisters in the same body, and we're motivated and moved by the same Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. You think that and apply it to your brothers and sisters people around you, you end up in a very different place from what's out in the society. In an entirely different spot. Think about each other, talk about each other, not with society's valuing standards, ways of doing things, attitudes, and maybe the stuff that you kind of fall into naturally, because that's the society you've been raised in. Not society's value system, but God's value system. Think that way. The same stuff. You see, um, way back in, early in this chapter, verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is just a kind of, here's a detail of it. Be transformed as a person. You ought to have a whole different attitude, way of being in the world from that stuff that you've been saved from. Uh, three little things I want to draw to your attention. One is rejoice and weep. Rejoice with those rejoicing, weep with those who are weeping. Uh, compassion for others, we might say. But it's not just compassion for those who are weeping, but also it's joining in the rejoicing. Uh, much better for us to be those people who join in. I wonder whether you weep with those who are weeping, those who are failing, those who are in trauma, those who are in difficulty. Some of us run a mile from that stuff. Some of us can't show up at the funeral of our grandfather because it's all too hard. We just can't be there. If you can't, I would suggest to you, you're missing out. There's a depth of engagement in life. There's challenges for you to think through and pray through that are important for you to face. 
Now, there may be certain family situations where it's inappropriate to show up at somebody's funeral. You've got to judge that as a separate issue. But you see what I mean? Some people are just so scared, afraid, don't want to be there, don't want to feel the pain of the other because it'll impact too much. That is a growing point right there. Some of us struggle with the other bit, uh, rejoicing with those who rejoice. I wonder if you hear somebody's success. Do you easily rejoice? Because there's a marker for you if you don't. as to something you've got to work on. You can sometimes see it in the eyes. You know, you're excited about something and you say to the person and you just look in their eyes and they get immediately envious of you. Or they just can't get beyond where they're at on that thing. That's a really hard thing. A really hard thing and it's a discipline. I think of a young woman who has uh, struggled to get pregnant and has friends all around who are having babies. And she said, I rejoice deeply. I want to be like an auntie to those little kids. Uh, but that doesn't come just straight off, does it? Or at least very rarely. It's a real sign of lack of contentment if you can't rejoice when someone else is rejoicing. And that's a real marker because that is a sign of Christian life, that you are a content person. These are things that you ought to go, oh, I see what's going on for me. What, I, what work do I have to do? in order that I can be this person. Now, some of us are good at this, one of them or other, or both. Uh, in my own personal experience, I've discovered an incredible grace from God to make sure I'm that person. I'm, I'm the one who will weep with the weeper. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bizarre thing to say what a privilege it is. And, you know, I've been in ministry, pastoral ministry, for many years, and so I have many more opportunities than most people to enter to a family and take a funeral of, of people that I don't even know and, you know, get to know them and to enter into their pain and difficulty. And that's not easy. You pay a price for it at one level, but you also learn and grow, and that's been my experience. And to rejoice when others are rejoicing. Easy for me, I think, to be envious, to wish that was me, that easy route or good thing that's happened. And yet what a great thing it is when I go, ah, oh, no, I'm going to live a different life here for Christ. I'm going to think about this quite different and truly rejoice. And what happens is I, I thrill to the growth in me. This is the wonderful thing about Christian living. You know, the more you do good for others, the more it's good for you. This is the beautiful reciprocity in the way God designs the world. We, we think naturally that if we hang on to all the stuff for ourselves, then that'll be better. But we actually grow and love life more and feel good when we enter into the way that God intends for us. Opening yourself up to the pain or the rejoicing is a way to change and grow. It makes you more human. It makes you closer to God. They're worth doing. So this is an invitation to you to discover more what God wants you to, to grow in, how he wants you to be more human. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. The second thing is, uh, he says, don't be wise in your own conceits. Avoiding conceit. Uh, I remember um, hearing the story, a friend of mine said that uh, he worked with this colleague and uh, he just knew that inside this guy's head was whatever meeting he was in, he always knew he was the smartest guy in the room. That's a tragic thing to be said of a person as a Christian guy. Tragic thing. Yeah, he always just knew he was the smartest guy in the room. And he obviously related out of that base. Eek. Who wants to be treated like that? Who wants to be like that? 
Conceit is where you determine your own values. This is what really matters, and you judge everybody else lower down the, the, the pecking order on that. Oh, yes, you might have more of that, that, and that, but <laughs> what really counts is what I am, because I'm the actual standard of what's really the best things. And so I'll look down on you. Not wise in your own conceits. And the third thing is take thought for what's honourable. That's countercultural right there. Take thought for what's honourable. Some practical advice. Watch what you feed your mind with. Watch what you feed your mind with. Uh, there is opportunity to watch and to engage in all sorts of things that are not honourable. Increasingly able to do that these days. And we need to notice it. I can't help but notice when I look at old movies, the classifications that were given 50 years ago. The 70s, the 80s, even the 90s. You know, what was an R back then, not that I watched it, made a very clear decision early on never to watch an R movie. Twice I've been caught out because I didn't know what the actual classifications were. I'm watching think, is this an MA? No. Decided very early on. But now, you know, when you go back and look at what was rated R in 1975, uh, it'd be an M. Well, not all of them, obviously. Some still be R. But, but some of them be an M rating now. Because I don't know if you realise, there's nothing objective about these standards. They're just what a group, of, a committee says, where do we think the community is up to? What do they think is they'll accept at what age? And it's been coming, the age of acceptability is becoming lower and lower. The, the graphic violence, the sexual violence even, has been coming more and more. That's more and more acceptable. What a tragic thing. Notice that. Notice that. I'm finding more and more, I'm often shying away from MAs. Now, you'll make your own choices. You'll have made your own choices. But let me tell you where I'm at with this. I don't want to feed my mind constantly with violence and, and, and with sexual violence and with sexual promiscuity. I just don't want to do it. Now, I love action movies. I love adventure movies. So it gets, there's a narrower and narrower band for me for the things I can watch. It's really sad. I remember five years ago, Barack Obama, at that time the president, <laughs> remember there was a president before Trump, uh, Barack Obama, the president of the US, he was asked, you know, what videos are you watching? You up to Netflix or whatever it was? And he was, he was, uh, he was the coolest answer around. Game of Thrones, favourite thing on TV, Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game of Thrones, decided ages ago. It might be a really bad decision. I could have missed out on lots of really fun, interesting, clever stuff. But the one thing I heard about is a lot of sexual violence in that. And I, thought, I just don't want to watch that. Now, some of you will have watched it, and I'm not trying to condemn you. I do want to ask you to think it through, pray it through. What are you putting into your mind? It won't just be in videos. It won't just be in that stuff. It'll be in the way you hang out with people, talk about things. Take thought for what's honourable. Put that into your mind again and again. Think through, what is it that will turn this situation different? In Rome, this was an incredible challenge for everybody to live with these kinds of values. To live with the idea that you would value people on God's system. So, so difficult. Maybe more difficult then than it is for us now. But of course, every place has its own difficulties. Every culture has its own temptations, problems. It must have been a real challenge for a slave to sit next to the head of a wealthy household. Must have been difficult both ways, incredibly difficult both ways. In the Blue Mountains, the challenge is on for us. 
How do we think about our culture? How do we work through the things for our culture? And so, for some personalities, this stuff is much harder than others. Some, some people, it just kind of, this is an easy one, there's other things that are difficult. There are certain failings for some of us that we're just more blind to. We just don't see it in ourselves so much. There are certain sins for some of us just a lot more attractive. I really want to be at that level, in that way, seen in this, this sort of vein. There are certain good things that some of us, we just don't even notice. You know, some of the stuff I might have been talking about, being with people in pain, there is a grace in that that is healthy and good. Some of us might not have even thought about that. And yet that's my testimony to you today. We may not see the failings in ourselves or we may find some sins more attractive or some good, some honourable things that don't even occur to us. So keep at it. Work as a community together to, to discover and, and know that stuff. The ideal way, I think, as we reflect on this, to uh, lead us into what we're going to do now, which is uh, share in the, last supper, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion. Just to reflect, and, and I'm going to give us time to do that, to reflect on my life. Are there sins that now you need to confess before God? There'll be a chance to do that. Is there a way you want to kind of reassert your love for Christ and his valuing of you and your valuing of others? To be, to be God's children, to be in Christ's body, to be motivated by his spirit. There'll be a chance for us to do that. And um, the reality that we can rejoice in what Christ has done to make that possible. That's what we're going to do as we think about the communion. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then I encourage you to uh, come and participate um, just at, at any moment. Cam's going to play for us. Uh, just go and grab a, um, a one or a couple of these to share from here or from there. Uh, get back to your seats and then we'll, I'll lead you in prayer. So we'll just take a minute or two to do that. Thanks. Thanks, Cam.